0: Podcast sponsored by DFS Prime Lineups, who continues to strive to be the best in the daily fantasy sports world. Please give our podcast a review and visit our site at www.dfscrimelineups.com and view all of our offerings from daily cheat sheets. Daily, weekly, or monthly Prime Picks for DraftKings or lineups for FanDuel. Take 10% off now with the promo code PRIME10. Now, let's get started with today's podcast and please be aware of the date and time it was posted as there can always be significant breaking news that can impact opinions and strategy.
1: All right, welcome everybody to this week's edition of MMA Cheat Sheet Live. This is Brandon Arcade, and I'm joined as always by Chris Bloodrain39. Uh, Ridge is at wrestling practice, I believe. Is that what he said he was doing, wrestling practice? Yeah, wrestling. Okay, well, good for Emmys, teaching the youth. Uh, this week's card is a UFC Fight Night card on FS1. It is BJ Penn versus Yair Rodriguez. And starting off the night, we have Dmitry Smolyakov versus Cyril Asker. Smolyakov is coming in at minus 120, and Asker is plus 100. DK has this at 8,200 for Smolyakov and 8,000 for Asker. Chris, lead us off on the first fight of the night.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely going to be favoring Cyril Asker here quite a bit. Just seems to have better technique, quite a bit more power, better speed. Um... Smolikov, in his UFC debut, he was fighting, he, he did have, they both had uh, tough fights after it went against Kananir, Jerry Kananir, Smolikov went against Luis Enrique, and problem is, you, you got to watch both of them, but I've watched, you know, multiple fights in both, uh, you know, even before they joined the UFC, just to kind of get myself a little bit more into it. didn't like, well, Smolikov is kind of a quitter, tapped really quickly in that fight. Um, was tired basically after three minutes, um, literally three minutes. He was just gassed, completely done. Um, maybe just a UFC debut thing, maybe it's improper training. Maybe, I guess I forgot to look at that fight there specifically. But regardless, even his uh, professional record is not impressive. Um, collective record before um, he, he had a fight that he fought against a guy who was 7'3", and then he went against Luis Henrique. Combined record was 13 and 24 of the fighters he fought before in his uh, record before joining the UFC, not impressive. Asker has at least fought some guys, you know, like a nine and 3, 10 and 6, 14 and three guy. He's actually beaten some guys with winning records, and seems to have a little bit more heart. And I'm just going to go with him. Um, he's eight thousand, a little, a little bit of a value there compared to Smolnikov, kind of a little overpriced at 8,200. Um, so, uh, I guess Smully is bigger, uh, but that's not going to mean that much
1: to me. So I by first round knockout. Yeah. I mean, we're looking at only a two inch height advantage for Smully And I, I think like last fight, he weighed like six pounds more. So, I mean, when you're talking about heavyweights, it's really not that big of a difference considering usually no. the smaller heavyweights typically do better. I mean, Kane Velasquez walks at like 236, you know? Uh, I agree. Uh, I definitely think that the scoring on this is flipped a little bit. I think it should have been eight thousand the other way. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So I definitely agree on that one. Uh, moving on, the next fight is Bojan Mihalovic. I bet you I said that wrong. Mihalovic. <laughs> Mihalovic. <laughs> I think but I, you know
0: me, I'm terrible when it comes to Russians and Serbians and whatever these guys are
1: over there. I don't even know. Well, I'm usually good at it, uh, but I got my Mike Goldberg going on tonight since they just fired him. So <laughs> I'm, going yeah, with, no, no. I'm going with Bojan. We'll just call him Bojan. He's going up against Joachim Christensen. Uh, in this fight, Mihalovic is plus 185 with a DK price of 7,400. And Christensen is minus 220, the favorite, with a price tag of 8,800. Uh, in this fight, you're talking about two light heavyweights that used to be heavy, or that used to be heavyweights. And I, I for me personally, I just I don't see a lot of value in taking the underdog in this one. uh, uh to me, he just doesn't exude UFC top talent. But the light heavyweight division is so thin. I mean, they're trying to make something out of nothing with this fight. So I'm going to go with Christensen on this one, but I'm not blown. I'm like, I'm not happy with his price tag. I think 8,800 is a little too high. Uh, What's your take? It's high, but
0: he's, I think he's probably the safest for a knockout in this entire card. Actually, I really broke down uh, Mijalevich quite a bit here and He's a guy, he relies only on power and the fact that I actually went and looked at every fighter that he fought as a professional. He lost his first three fights to a guy who was a career record 1 and 2. Next fighter was 9 and 8 record. Next guy was 15 and 8. So they just, all right. And he was actually 5 and 0 at the time. And, uh, you know, beats Mihaljevic. And all of a sudden Mihaljevic starts fighting some pretty lame competition. Here's where it starts here. He fights a guy. Who never fought professionally before loses, never fights again. This is back in 2007 when I'm starting all this. I'm talking about. Next fight goes against a guy who's 13 and 25. <laughs> Next guy, yeah, and he looks like he's lost 25 fights too. He looks really bad. Next guy he goes against is a guy who was oh no loses, never fights again. Next fight goes against a guy. Same thing, zero own zero record, loses. Never fights again. And by the way, all three of these uh, guys never had uh, an amateur record either. So it's really fishy that he's got. He gets to fight three guys as a professional who has no amateur experience that I could find. And no—and prof- then no professional fights either. So the next fight, he goes against a guy who was 2-0 at the time. He beats him. Never fights again. Fights a guy again who is eighteen and twenty-two, who had actually lost seven of eight fights leading up to this fight. Next fight goes against the same thirteen and twenty-five guy. This time, when he gets, he fights him. At the end of the fight, he actually kicks the guy when the referee breaks the referee breaks the fight. He kicks him when he's down, and then spits at his corner. Absolutely low class. Next fight, he goes against a guy who's five and four. Next fight was against that same 9-8 fighter that he lost again. He won this time. And then his next fight was against a guy who was 0-6. So in that 10-fight winning streak that he had, where in there am I supposed to be impressed? There's nothing in there. A guy who was, he fought a guy twice who was 13-25, another guy who was 18-22, three guys who had never fought before and then never fought again after that, and then a guy who was 0-6 during that span. That is one of the most atrocious I've ever it's, it's literally like Serbia was just they needed somebody to cheer on and for some reason too if you watch this guy you watch this fight the crowd goes nuts they love him absolutely love him so getting anybody to go in there it's almost like this is just nothing but set up fights to get this guy to be a professional someday, somewhere which UFC bought hook line and sinker and now I'm literally all in on uh, what Christians and all came Christians excuse me the guy can take a shot got good ground game with a willingness to stand up too, you know even if he's getting hit he hits back He, you know he's not gonna cover up and let the referee break up the fight you know he can move at angles um had a good showing against henrique da silva who's a uh just a he, he's a man
1: beast that guy is a he's a beast <laughs> he's gonna fight for the title about him i'm
0: sure yeah. uh you know he lost the clinch game bad but you know he's dropping him the second um Control for a while, but, you know, he got reversed and subbed there late. You know, he showed a lot of toughness and was not nervous in his UFC debut. You know, he showed, you know, he could handle tough situations well. And, you know, he defends well during opponents when they're brawling at him. Really, you know, putting him in bad situations like I talked about earlier. I'm really impressed with this guy. I just don't think there's anything. When you're watching both these guys on tape, these two fighters on tape, there's nothing Mihaljevic has that Christensen hasn't seen before. And I can tell you right now, I mean, have not seen anything that Christensen can dish out, nothing like it. So, yes, I'm all in on Christensen. Even at 8800 it probably is a fair price if you actually watch the two fighters.
1: <laughs> That's probably true. You know, I was kind of curious about everything, the way you ran it down, and I've had time to think about it. And I'm kind of curious, who is Bojan's management? Because those sound like fights that the organization also represented the talent. Like, uh, for instance, Ed Soros, he's the guy who manages all the big prominent names in Brazil from Anderson Silva to uh, Jose Aldo and all those guys at one point. Uh, well, Pedernares does Jose Aldo now, but uh, Ed Soros used to run RFA and then he merged with Legacy Fighting Championship, but he still runs that organization. So not only is he the fight promoter, he's also the manager. And a lot of times you see those sort of showcase fights in those situations, and that's what sounds like Bojan's whole career was. All right, moving on to the next one. Uh, By the way, I'm 100% in on on Christensen, even with his outrageous price tag. Actually, I think he'll end up scoring 100-plus points and making a statement. All right, next up we got Walt Harris versus Chase Sherman. Uh, I really like this fight, actually. This is a fun fight between uh, two guys who actually could have the potential to be something in the UFC. Uh, Sherman is minus— Uh, Excuse me. Uh, Harris is minus one thirty five as a favorite, but he has a really gaudy DK price at eighty seven hundred. And Sherman is only plus one fifteen. Not that big of a dog, but his price is seventy five hundred. So just based off the implied numbers, there is some value on Sherman. He had a really tough matchup against Justin Ledet, who's a pure boxer, like with actual professional boxing experience. And you could tell he just couldn't handle himself in the stand up game against a guy like that uh walt harris has had sort of an up and down career he's been in and out of the ufc a couple of times even though he's only eight and five the most notable thing that sticks out to me on walt harris was his uh, head kick knockout loss to nikita kryloff uh <clears throat> in this fight officially i would take sherman and some gpps but i i don't mind harris as a play at all even with his big price tag though i'll probably end up going with somebody else uh chris give me the low down on sherman versus harris yeah, this is kind of a tougher one.
0: The pricing kind of hurts Walt Harris a lot because I was favoring him quite a bit. Um, you know, he Walt Harris trains with guys like Bigfoot Silva. You know, so this guy can take hits, uh, <laughs> and he's good at tucking his chin when he's about to get hit. And you know, i you know he's really he's good at countering. He can he can eat a punch and take turn around counter. And drop people with it, you know. He uh, actually did that to East. Um, you know, his uh, blanking you know, on first name. Apologize. Oh, but,
1: Cody uh, East. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I know he seems to be improving in every fight too. You know, and he's working. He works with American Top Team and a lot of those guys who really, who really are true prospects. Who work with American Top Team, they do progress in each fight. Um, I would like to see more pressure from him. If he pressures Chase Sherman, stalks him, has no fear, and does what he's supposed to do, I think he takes this pretty easily. Uh, Chase Sherman, I don't know. He, I know it was against Liddell, but even some other fights, he's pretty easy to counter against. Um, you know, he's got good leg kicks, but again, it's his head movement. He doesn't have the greatest head movement. So when he's swinging at people, he leaves himself. He gets, he just does. He gets countered quite a bit. And I'm just, I am a little nervous on Chase Sherman. I think, again, at 7500 he definitely has G T P upside. He's,
1: um, I forgot to look how many finishes he has in his career. Uh, do you have that offhand? I actually think all of his wins are finishes. Maybe one isn't, yeah, Okay. yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought he was a finisher. And that's, anytime you got a guy, you're heavyweight, and you're a finisher, $7,500 is a GPP play. There, there's just no doubt about it, but... Well, Harris is probably going to have the better training, the better technique, the better speed, the better strength, better stamina. Um, for the most part, he pretty much—I think—he kind of he's favored in almost every aspect that you could that you would want in a fight. So, I—I I guess maybe the eighty-seven hundred dollars price tag is fairly legit, but. You know, this is going to be a boring decision to win if he doesn't. You know, pressure. You know, if he if he, he needs to pressure, he needs to put the pressure on Chase Sherman, and then he wins this fight pretty easily. And I'm pretty sure guys on our top team are making
1: sure he's going to do that this fight. So if I can see that, they're seeing it too. Yeah, uh, Chase Sherman. I mean, despite his wins that he has and they're all finishes and whatnot, he reminds me of the second coming of Christian Moorcraft. And I know that's not a very familiar name for some people, but for me. Uh, he, he's a guy that went in there and beat a couple of scrubs, but anytime he fought a big name, like he, he lost to uh Stefan Struve, he lost to Matt Mitrione that actually got him cut. And I think ended his career at that point. Uh, but you know, all the guys that he beat in the UFC, I can't even remember their names. And there used to be a point where I could tell you the name of every guy who's ever fought in the UFC. So, I mean, we're, we're not talking about a kid who, uh, you know, exudes top flight competition. And so I'm, actually totally okay with uh harris's price tag but it it does seem you know i don't want to call it a red flag but it is certainly a yellow flag uh 8700 is a lot but he you're right he needs to move forward the entire fight uh if this thing ends up being a decision i do not see him making value at 8700 uh, they're just, Absolutely not, not. they're, they're just not going to throw enough strikes. It's going to be a lot of laying on each other because these guys are going to gas. I mean, Walt Harris, he has a tip, like in some of his fights, he fights nervous, you know, like he gets this sort of nervous energy about him where like his fight or flight instincts kick in and you can see that his complete fight IQ is gone. He's just in yep. there, you know, like he disappears from all of his training and he's just trying to survive and that's not going to win him this fight. So I I really hope that he comes with that game plan that you were talking about. He really needs to, you know, rely on his training and not on his instincts. It's kind of the opposite of Cowboy Cerrone.
0: (laughs) Exactly. No, actually, the first thing I wrote down was sloppy technique at times, great technique at times. So, anyways.
1: All All right, moving on. Uh, The next fight of the night is laughable at best. Uh, This is sort of a filler fight, which uh, I wish they would stop doing this in the UFC. But we're talking about Jocelyn jones Liebarger versus Nina Ansaroff. And the most credible thing about this entire fight is the fact that Nina Ansaroff is the champ Amanda Nunes' girlfriend. Uh, outside of that one fun little fact, there really isn't a whole lot to go off of this fight. Uh, you can't really find a Vegas odds on it, and uh, DK has a price to 8100 across the board. But we're talking about two rudimentary 500 at best fighters. Uh, it, you know, other than the fact that they're 115 pound straw weights, there will be some volume. It's just not going to be impressive. Uh, I am totally fine with people who want to go 100% on answer off, but. Considering there's another 8100 matchup that's between two flyweights, I, I would fade this fight completely, in my opinion. Uh, what do you got on this one? I, Anzoroff,
0: just does things to that makes it really hard to catch. I want to put her in a lineup. I don't know. I just I don't like her very much. However, in this fight, there's no comparison when it comes to power and speed. Jocelyn Jones-Leiberger might be the weakest human being in the world when it comes to fighting at all levels, amateur, kids level, whatever. I literally have never seen anybody so weak in my life. Um, Torres could hit her at will. Um, Oh, my gosh. What is that uh, redheaded uh, Marcos, random Marcos, whatever. She had absolutely no fear of Jocelyn Jones's liber- uh, power, absolutely no fear whatsoever, Stopped her the whole time. Anytime Jones tried to throw a punch, it was, its not even just eating it, there's it, it, just nothing to eat. I just don't even know how to explain how unbelievably weak she is. There's nothing behind her punches. I don't know how she ever got a win. I, I, I mean, she must have been fighting women who somehow, some way are weaker than her.
1: Well, she's a she's an atom weight. That's the problem. Was like when she was in Invicta and then you know regional shows. She fought at 105 pounds. She wasn't. Even, she's only in. Okay. She took that fight against Marcos on short notice, and that's and so okay. she she moved up ten pounds. And this is sort of like you know every time somebody does the UFC a favor and takes a short notice fight, they give them another fight, uh, and that's sort of what this is. Okay. I guess that explains some.
0: Yeah, I'm not. I if I took answer off. Maybe I could do if I'm trying to mix and match a little bit because maybe I'm scared of my my you know another fighter around that price range. I could you know I could mix and match some GTPs and maybe put Antroff in there because I wouldn't be. But here's my here's the thing about Jones Lieberger she can take a hit. Um, she's pretty tough. So Antroff could definitely just tee off on her for three straight rounds and score Close to 100 points because she just lands that many significant strikes, but I don't know. This could also go to the ground. I mean, and they just kind of don't, there's not much they can do. And Jones leiberger is a blue belt, and maybe, maybe she does something. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just staying away from this fight. I've not had good luck with women fighters in my lifetime. I'm not going to try to even roster either one of these two, except for, again, maybe if I'm making a few extra lineups, maybe Ansaroff. I, I,
1: Yuck, yuck. Let's move on, please. Yeah. Uh, oh, here's one fun fact I guess I can say about uh, Lybarger. Real quick, uh, she has a twin sister who also fights, and neither of them made the cut for that season of tough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. We've got Devin Powell, the second guy on this card who comes from the Dana White show looking for a fight. Uh, he has an 8-1 and record. He is priced at plus 190, and he has a very tiny price tag of 7,200, one of the lowest on the card. He's going up against a relative enigma in fighting, Drakar Close, who has a 6 0 1 record and is priced at 9,000. Vegas has him at minus 225. Uh, he's coming out of the MMA Lab Academy, which is where uh, Benson Henderson trains and a couple other guys uh, that have been in the UFC and Bellator. Uh, I'm really surprised that Dracar Close came in with such a big price tag. I really thought he was going to be a sleeper and we were going to get some extra value there, but they just blew his price tag out of the water. And so it kind of scares me a little bit. I was totally on Close uh, before pricing came out. But now that pricing has come out, I feel like Powell is severely undervalued. Uh, I'm still probably leaning towards Close to win the fight. How, I'm not sure, but Powell has some serious implied value. Uh, What do you think of this fight? before pricing came
0: out before i looked at vegas odds i actually thought Devin powell had a pretty good chance of winning this fight so the fact that i get him at 7200 this is a guy that i'm pretty darn high on is unbelievable to me um i i'm just shocked at this price when i saw that price i got pretty giddy i'm not gonna lie i got pretty giddy i really like Devin powell's ability this guy works very hard. He's extremely dedicated. He has literally dedicated his life to martial arts. Not that other fighters don't, but this guy just has a hunger for it, that you, you can't teach this type of hunger that he has. And he's got a good Brazilian jiu-jitsu and boxing background to go with it. You know, he starts very fast in all his fights. Great ground game. He's able to weather storms, too. He's extremely tough. Um, he's got good elbows. Uh, you know, he's and elbows as my, you know, if you've listened to podcasts before in the past, you know elbows are probably my favorite weapon next to leg kicks. Yeah, I and
1: think I think we like to say elbows just as much as we like to say Dong Kim. <laughs> <laughs> um, don, 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 Young Kim. <laughs>
0: yeah, I know. I. But again, when you're talking about Drucker Close training with Benson Henderson at MMA Lab, that is a very good school, and maybe like. The third favorite thing we like to talk about is
1: where a person trains at. That is huge it in, matters. in the UFC. It's well that Oh, I said it matters. It definitely does. It does. I mean there are a few there are vi- I, very few guys that can come from nowhere camps and win. I mean the biggest ones that stick out is Colin McGregor and uh, Demetrius Johnson. They both have pretty much their own camp, but I mean look at the rest of them. I mean we're talking about the Ronda Rouseys of the UFC. <laughs> Oh, jeez, yeah. Anyway, keep going. No, that's why, that's the only reason that gives me concern
0: is when you have that type of coaching, those coaches find everything. Everything. Uh, they they are viewing every single, every tape that Powell ever had, they are dissecting. Not that Powell's trainers don't do the same thing, but there's a reason why MMA Lab gets the best fighters or gets some of the best fighters and why fighters stay there. I mean, this, there is a reason for it. They, you know, the best is the best. It's, it makes it very tough. And, you know, and Drakkar Klaus, another one. Good ground game, very good stand-up, crisp, clean punches, just another very good technical fighter. These are, so this is a, I'm not, again, this is a shocking price right here, 97200 I was, again, it's not leaning, I'm not crazy high on Powell. Like, I
1: I think despite the fact that these are two guys that no one knows about, this could be a fight of the year contender. Like, everything that you're saying and what I believe as well, like, this fight is much closer than people are giving it credit for. And I have no problems with Pal. I actually think he can go a lot higher than 30 points in a loss. I think he can get to 50 or 60 in a loss. Because these guys are smaller guys and because
0: of the transition, the... the you know, you know any time you get a reversal
1: anytime you advance the top position anytime you get a takedown you know these are three six five points that i'm talking about
0: something the price in that uh, scoring range
1: yeah takedowns these are ten are i said takedowns well, are, i said takedowns are ten points i think they're five actually I, thought, I think i was wrong i think i was saying ten points last week i believe they're five i was and i apologize for that did they modify scoring again I think they did, because when
0: I was looking at my scoring and I was watching takedowns, I was seeing five points for takedowns. I could have scored there ten points last time, and now it's five, so whatever. I don't know. Maybe they modified it. I don't
1: Regardless, I think you could still get there. Oh, I agree. I agree. All right, so officially on this fight, are we uh, big on Powell and okay with Close? At that price
0: for Close, no.
1: It, it's so big. It's so unnecessary. nine thousand is ridiculous. That
0: is un- That is insane. That is. I don't know. I don't understand. That's like Amanda Nunez's territory against her next opponent. I mean, whoever that is, I don't care. It's going to be nine thousand plus for her. I I'm bet you. Predictors.
1: I it's bet not. you she gets to ten thousand. I'm going to make a prediction that I she's she's ten thousand. Yeah, I, I actually. Yep, yeah, I actually agree with you hundred percent. She's going to. It's.
0: She's too dominating. It's going to be impossible not to spend. Uh, not have her 10,000.
1: She was just too dominated. All right. Mo- moving on is the most controversial fight, uh, I think, which is, uh, let me see here. I don't want to get my statistics wrong when I run this down. I'm talking about Tony Martin versus Alex White. Uh, it's pretty obvious that Alex White is moving up in weight And Tony Martin is an outstanding prospect, though he's had some really tough fights since he joined the UFC. Uh, Martin, however, is minus 280 with an 8,900 price tag, and White is plus 230 with a 7,300 price tag. Uh, I think White moving up in weight is a good thing, and I think that him fighting a guy like Tony Martin is a bad thing. However, I think that these pricing uh, and scoring is just a little off. I I think White should have been closer to like 7,700, and Martin should have been down to like 8,400. But uh, that does imply that there's some value on White, though I think Tony Martin might still have enough in the tank, the better cardio to actually win this fight. I just, I really like Alex White as a competitor. I like the way he moves. I like the way he strikes. You know, he's kind of like a bigger version of Dominic Cruz, you know, save the last Dominic Cruz fight. Uh, What's your take on this one?
0: I agree. I love Alex White. Another really shocking price tag here. This is... I don't want to call it grappler versus striker here, um, but you know Tony Martin, he's gonna he's gonna look to be you know he's a sub guy you know eight submission wins, and ten victories obviously he's a sub guy and very good ground game to go with it. One thing I noticed he struggles very badly against leg kicks. He doesn't he's not as good on his feet as you would like him to be. Maybe training with American Top Team over there again another top school that we like just start ringing a bell every time we say that. Yeah.
1: Um, or take a shot. <laughs> yeah, take a shot next time. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, anyways,
0: a, a great school a great school. I'm sure that they're working with the guy and improving on his game and making him, you know, better so he learns how to check leg kicks a little bit better because Alex White, like you were talking about, he's a good striker. Um, he's got great angles, moves around the cage well. Um, utilizes his distance really well too and he mixes in all sorts of kicks and punches I mean, he's got a lot of weapons this is a guy I mean he's got everything he literally can do everything and it's really fun guys to watch in the ring and I'm not sure what would happen if he went to the ground I've opened I guess I did not maybe see enough of him to be able to know how good his takedown defense is and all that stuff maybe you can um uh, go in on that a
1: little bit. On, on White's or Martin's takedown defense?
0: On Alex White's takedown defense. I guess I'm, I did not see enough on Alex White to, on uh, his, because I've seen a lot of, against strikers. I haven't really seen him against enough great grapplers to know if, I, if he could defend a takedown well enough you know
1: what I mean? He's got those rangy legs. So he kind of has the Carlos Condit syndrome where he is hard to take down, but when he does get taken down, he's very comfortable on his back and he throws the legs up. He's always looking for submissions from the bottom, but typically he uses those positions to scramble back to his feet. He's actually quite an adept grappler. He just doesn't need to use it very much because he's got such a long reaching jab that it keeps people at his distance. Like he's really good at fighting at his distance. Uh, Tony. He is. Yeah, and Tony Martin is a guy who will try to get on the inside at all costs. Like, if, if, yes. you, if you could take Alex White's stand-up and Tony Martin's grappling, you'd probably have a number one contender on your hands.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's why I say it's kind of a grappler versus striker, but I guess I did not see enough of Alex White's ground game because exactly what you just said there, he's... You know, when I was just saying that, you know, he utilizes his distance really well. I and mean, he just does. And he's got so many weapons on his feet. So, yeah, that's all right. Um, so, yeah I, guess, yeah, I guess both of us have to say that Alex wasn't very much in play here for GPP options. For being off-beat. Yeah. You, know, you could even, there might be kind of like what happened this last card where, you know, I actually came one fighter away from winning a GPP and the big GPP. I did take down some small GPPs, but I ended up. The thing is, you know, the people who had my exact lineup except replacing Dominic Cruz for Cody Garbrandt, you won the whole thing. You won out of 58,000 people. Yeah. So, but you also left quite a few thousand dollars left. You probably left almost 2,000 plus salary on the table
1: to do that. The MMA so is, this is... I was saying MMA is one of the sports of where you can do that.
0: This is one of those where, like an Alex White, maybe a Devin Powell combination with Maybe, you know, another heavyweight that's, you know, in the 7,000 range or something like that, combination with three of the top fighters that we like, you know, a little bit later on. Um, that might be the winner. Who knows? I mean, this is what happens in the UFC. It's not. Salary means nothing, Vegas odds mean nothing. What they do in the ring means everything.
1: Yep. All right. Uh, so, officially, uh, Alex White is an extremely live dog. I actually think he might be the livest dog in the entire card. Uh, but Yeah, I. Oh, I was saying, but Tony Martin is no slouch at all. So, I mean, there's no fault in taking Martin. I I just can't figure out why he's 8900 It's just ridiculous. The pricing is very odd for this card. All right, uh, moving on. We're back at the heavyweights. We've got Alexi Olenek versus Victor Pesta. Oh, sorry about that. I just got a text, and it made a ding. Uh, let's see. Alexi Olenek is coming in at minus 145 with an 8600 price tag, and Pesta is plus 125 with a 7600 price tag. Uh, based on if you take, It's another one of those situations where if you take Vegas odds and then uh, do a little mathematic formula based on DK scoring, uh, Pesta has implied value. Uh, but for me, I, it, this is a matter of uh, how old is Alexi Olenek when he steps back into the cage, because the guy has 50 wins, 10 losses, and one draw and before he had his last loss uh recently uh i can't it's i'm losing the name of the guy he lost to um i'm sure you'll tell us in a minute chris but uh, i really think that if Alexei olenek is still on top of his game he should win this fight no problem but victor pesta is an up-and-coming heavyweight he's doing his best to mend his mistakes and and evolve as a fighter and he's getting better i mean he's he's there's one thing you can say about victor pesta the dude is a gamer uh, but for me, I just feel like which Alexei Olenek shows up in the cage is what is the number one factor for this fight. What do you got, Chris? Yeah, you know, Victor Pesta tries to do against Derek Lewis
0: against Olenich. He's done. He wouldn't last in the first round. Pesta sat there against Derek Lewis. He just went for so many takedowns. Just then I get it. I would not want to fight Derek Lewis with fists either. I totally, totally, totally get it. Uh, (laughs) It's true Dude's got heart He he can take a beating He's got a lot of heart But He seemed to have a lot of He had some accuracy problems Against Tibera In his last fight Um He tried to sit there And counter too much And He just seems slow I don't know I He comes up Looking
1: anything close To like that He's done Hellenic will sub him He's got 40 submission wins That's crazy Um
0: It is It is And it, I don't know. I, I, yeah, you're right about the age thing. You always wonder when it's going to be that time he finally slows down and just that's it, because it happens overnight for a fighter. that they're done. I mean, a lot of them will continue to fight for a while, but the ones who you know, like you and I, there's others out there who we identify these fighters right away after their first fight. We can tell when they're done, and they lose their name value in. It's great for us because, you know, people like Ron, you know, people who were so high on Ronda Rousey last week, you know, she was 50 to 60% owned in tournaments for crying out loud.
1: That's ridiculous. I mean,
0: it's, it, you know, if you would have if if you know anything about the sport, she should have been five. I mean, but that's whatever. She's former champ, I understand it. But this is one of those I'm pretty high on Linux here, um, I don't know if I have them in cash, I don't know if, what I'm going to be doing for cash, With four, we got four heavyweight fights on this card, makes it really tough for cash this week, but I do feel confident in a lot of fights, so I'm just going to wait and see what happens, get more information, check weigh-ins, because those are always very important for us, look at the weigh-ins, you know, we actually got some extra value by watching the weigh-ins of his last card, I mean, it's... You think about it, Ray Borg, you know, we were fairly high on Ray Borg, but then we watched the weigh-ins, and then we were, <laughs> we were 100% in on Ray Borg after we saw those weigh-ins.
1: Yeah, even though Borg missed weight. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? I said even though Borg missed weight.
0: Yeah, but Borg didn't look like crap.
1: Right, so. he he decided to forfeit the money in order to feel good. It's something yep. uh, something Ridge would talk about. He's actually the master of cutting weight. He understands the process. He's done it many times. So I kind of, when it comes to those situations, I I really wish Ridge was back with us uh, just for that sort of input. Though on this card, I don't see a lot of people struggling with weight. No, I don't think we're gonna have a lot of problems with this one, especially because uh, you know
0: we don't have uh, either Alex White and uh, yeah, he's moving Mike. up.
1: So, yeah, uh, the official line on Olenek versus Pesta, uh, I think Pesta is somewhat live. I'm okay with it if you're looking for value under 8000 But Olenek should be the pick here, in my opinion. You there, Chris? Yep. Okay. Sorry, I was just letting
0: you go on to the next fight here.
1: So. Okay, uh, yeah, uh, let's see. The next fight on the card is Frankie Signs versus augusto mendez uh signs is coming in at 8300 while mendez is 7900 uh, vegas has it as a pick em fight uh, but i don't necessarily see it that way uh, augusto mendez his only loss in his small five and one record is against cody garbrandt who he fought at the beginning of last year and then garbrandt went on a tear and ended up becoming the champion uh, frankie signs is a guy who entered the ufc taking a short notice fight against eddie wineland when wineland was a top 10 guy and he basically took him down and grinded him out for you know, the majority of the fight. Uh, it was a fun fight to watch, uh, but Frankie Signs has sort of been up and down since then. Uh, I always thought he was a bit of a pretender to the, the top 15 of the division. That doesn't mean he's a bad fighter. Uh, he definitely has a lot of heart, and he likes to grind it out. Uh, Augusto Mendes, to me, is a bit of an enigma. Uh, there isn't a lot of information on him other than watching him get flatlined by uh, Cody Garbrandt. Uh, scoring wise, uh, I feel like Signs and Mendez are probably appropriately priced, uh eighty three hundred and seventy nine hundred, but for me I, I'm leaning towards signs just because of his experience. Uh, what's your take on this one?
0: Yeah, I gotta lean signs quite a bit too. Just even watching Mendez in his last fight before he went to the UFC. I mean he wins but it's dropped a couple times and still doesn't look very good on his feet. I don't know. I which is not good news for him. Here's one thing that there's three guaranteed things in life with Frankie Science. Excuse me. There's three things that are guaranteed in life. There's death, taxes, and Science dropping someone with a leg kick when he's in a fight with you. Um, have you ever seen a fight with him where he didn't drop his opponent with a leg kick? This guy is just vicious with leg kicks. They're absolutely nasty. He's a, normal, a Division One wrestler at Arizona State. Uh, he's got... Probably some of the best cardio in the UFC. Good self defense. Um he is really aggressive on top, even with knees, I mean he just doesn't stop. He's just knees forever because he's got again he's got that cardio. He can sit there and strike at you, even if it's just kind of the, he's annoying, he's a very annoying fighter. Um more than anything. You know, even when he's going against Uriah eye favor, you know, he took a ton of hard elbow strikes. It was still hitting back. Faber had a mounted crucifix. He just grabs them and throws them off like it was. No,
1: I just, I don't know if I've ever seen that. Um, it is rare to have a mounted. What was that? Oh, I said it is rare.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and just how how easy he did. He just grabs them and just throws them off. The guy is really strong. <laughs> but again, is. versus uh, Weinland, he's a little hesitant. You know, probably concerned about his power. So I just, I really think that. Mendes is absolutely going to have to win by submission here. He's got a submission chance, of course. He's a really good uh, BJJ fighter. I just, I don't know. I think he's going to. He just doesn't. I don't know. Unless maybe he's. It's been a while since he's fought, so maybe he's made enough improvements on his feet and is able to. I don't know. I don't know if he even wants to go to the ground, though. I just, I don't know. Just one of those guys. You, when you're kind of guy who. He's a better wrestler, better striker, maybe not quite as good, you know, his resume in jiu-jitsu, but still got a good jiu-jitsu game himself and good sub-defense. It's really hard to pick a guy like Mendes. It really is. So I'm pretty high on science, pretty science to win this fight. Probably a decision. I'd be shocked if it was a finish. It's probably going to be a decision. Um, even that, you know, he's only got three uh, knockouts and two subs and 11 wins. So even numbers kind of back me up on that one. He's not as big of a finisher as some of the other fighters on the card. However, he's extremely busy, and at 8,300 with a pretty safe win. He might be a guy that ends up in a couple of my lineups.
1: All right, moving on to the next. We're going to start with the main card, finally. Uh, We've got a flyweight matchup, and one that I think will probably end up being uh, the people's main event. Uh, This is John Moraga, Always the Bridesmaid, uh, against Sergio Pettis. Little Showtime. Uh Moraga is coming in at plus one fifteen. Hey, he doesn't want to be his little brother. <laughs> he doesn't want to be in the shadow. Well, that's too bad for him because that's what he's gonna be until he gets <laughs> that's what it is. That's it's he, hard to no, he's gotta beat Moraga and then he's gotta beat like two or three more guys at the top of that division and get a title shot before he gets out of his brother's shadow. I mean, look how long it took Nate Diaz to stop being called Nick's little brother. I mean, now he's one of the highest-paid fighters in the organization. It's crazy, but he can do it. Uh, Pettis is minus 135. I'm actually blown away that he's the favorite. Uh, in, on In terms of DK scoring, they both got both these guys at 8,100. This is the other 81 81 matchup. But I know you're big on Pettis, but for me, Moraga has just faced better competition. He's fared well against better competition. He knows what it's like to be in with the absolute best fighter in the world. Uh, he didn't win. But he was definitely a game opponent. <clears throat> that fight came way too early in his career. He should not have fought DJ. He should be fighting DJ like after this fight instead of back then. Uh, for me, I just think Moraga has enough tools overall and fights at an elevated level to Sergio Pettis. Uh, I thought Sergio Pettis entered the UFC prematurely. Uh, I thought that he should have, you know, definitely gotten a couple of key wins under his belt, maybe fought a guy like Bibliotov, who fights over in uh, World Series of Fighting. He's their champ over there. You know, Pettis just didn't do enough before he entered the UFC, and he sort of had an, even though he's 14-2, and he's had sort of an up-and-down run. I mean, he lost to Ryan Benoit, who's a gamer, but you shouldn't be losing to Ryan Benoit when you're a Pettis it just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I'm totally fine with the way scoring ended up. It does give value to Pettis, and it makes it okay to pick him. But for me, I think Moraga has the tools to win this fight. Uh, what's your take?
0: You know, losing the Benoit, you know, he, Pettis dominated him, and he got caught. Uh, every young fighter is going to go through those situations, and I think the kid has just gone through enough, and I think he's, you know, he's had his couple of losses. He's had his, you know, he, he kind of understands now what he needs to do to be himself. Um, and he, I don't know, he, he, he got a little trouble in his last fight against Chris Curioso. Um You know, kind of had a, in the end of the fight there, he kind of had, he got caught in a heel lock there. But the fight ended and he was fine. Won away, you know, walked away with a decision victory. and pretty much dominated him. Competition than what Moraga has fought, and I get that. But sometimes I just have to sit back and just watch the two side by side, compare speed, compare power, compare everything that's happening right now. Moraga looked really bad in his last fight. I that was an awful, awful fight. Um, I wow, that was bad. Got countered a ton. Wasn't throwing combinations. just he wasn't busy which is really weird because he's usually got another guy good cardio he's another arizona state wrestler you know he comes to fight i mean this is normally the thing on this guy he just comes to fight good cardio um good leg kicks and kicks in general you know takedown defense was a little suspect against some of the top fighters but that's top fighters that's you know that's really not fair to beat them up for that when you're going against number one number two number three ranked fighters in the world um but, yeah, I'm still favoring Pettis in this. It's more of a 60-40 uh, favoring of Sergio Pettis right now. Um, that, that's where I'm at right now on Pettis.
1: And, yeah. All right. Uh, ne- next fight on the main card. Uh, this, this is another one that has very intriguing scoring to me. Or, excuse me, pricing. Uh, we've got Court McGee versus Ben Saunders. Both guys are minus 110. It's a total pick fight. But McGee is priced at 7,800, and Saunders is priced at 8,400. So if you were big on Saunders, then he just sort of had some of his juice sucked out. Whereas Court McGee, to me, who's a he's a uh, an outstanding uh, conditioned athlete, uh, you know, typically uh, he he likes to grind people out. He rarely has weight cutting issues. He's got a ton of heart, and I, it's hard to knock him out. I mean, this guy has a win over Robert Whitaker. You know, that's like a really big accomplishment in this day and age. Uh, This big problem is he's missed a lot of time. Uh, He had some injuries. He sat out for a long time. He's finally back. Uh, And whereas Ben Saunders has been sort of a journeyman, hopped over to Bellator, beat a couple of good guys, lost to their best guys, got back into the UFC, uh, you know, basically on a short notice fight. I believe it was against uh, Josh Berkman. uh, For me personally, I like Court McGee to win this fight in a grinding decision, but that doesn't mean Ben Saunders can't catch him. Uh, You don't see Court McGee get submitted, but that doesn't mean Saunders can't do it. I mean, the guy has a go-go plata on his resume. I I think he might have two, actually. It's crazy how he comes out of nowhere with that stuff. Uh, For me, I'm officially on McGee because of his value and his price. Uh, How about you? Yeah, this is another
0: fight where we differ on quite a bit. Um, I'm pretty high on Ben Saunders actually, and kind of feel they got the pricing right. Um, reason I say that is I just I'm seeing some weaknesses in McGee that do not favor him in this fight very well. I think Ben Saunders' strengths are going to hurt McGee's weaknesses too much. Um, ben Saunders is extremely accurate with his strikes, and one thing McGee is very susceptible to is a good strikes. Is a good striker. His reaction time just isn't quite top notch. However, it probably doesn't have to be because he's really tough and take a lot of hits. Great cardio, and pretty much people can just kind of. He also throws a lot of strikes too. Actually, threw he actually threw one hundred sixty six significant strikes versus Josh Neer one time. Yeah,
1: it was a I think, great well, fight.
0: Which I, I would have had him in my lineup for
1: that one. Yeah, that was a that was wow. a, it was a great fight. I really like that fight a lot. Yeah,
0: that was a good fight. I just wanted to mention that right there that The advantage. Even if Court McGee goes to the ground and takes him to the ground, Ben Saunders has got a really good chance to just dr- just drill him with elbows. He's got a great rubber guard. I mean, he's done this in a couple fights too, where he just holds the guy with his foot and then just drills him with elbows. So, yeah, the guy's got top position, but he eats 10, 15, 20 elbows for it. I, I don't know. I just, I don't, I, I just, I really. Like Ben Saunders a lot in this fight compared to Court McGee, because you like Court McGee so much, I'm probably going to have a share of, or two of him in GPPs. Because I mean, we haven't had a, we haven't really differed a lot when we've done our podcast, or we don't differ very often. So for us to have two fighters who differ quite heavily on is uh, well, and- odd.
1: For, it's, for me, it's because Ben Saunders is susceptible to being knocked out, whereas Court McGee rarely gets finished, and he does know how to knock people out. He's got cinder block fists. I mean, he's like a 170-pound version of Tim Bosch. Yeah, no, I
0: know. I, I get that. Um, I don't know. I just, again, I have to just sit there and watch the speed differences, power differences, how they react this how they react to that and that's why i try to watch as many fights as i can and watch them very closely and i just yeah i i I just see ben Saunders as a better fighter in this i just and again it's and again when i also too look at my notes you know and you you know a lot of things you know there's just you know high accurate striker versus somebody who kind of eats fight he eats a lot of strikes so
1: i don't know I, I will I will make one prediction from Ben Saunders I think that he's going to At some point get a Muay Thai plum and then He's going to use it to pull guard But he's not going to mean to pull guard I think he's going to try to go for a, Either a flying arm bar or a Flying triangle from that Muay Thai plum clinch But it's just going to end up falling on his back And then probably eating a couple of shots That's my prediction for that fight <laughs> Very specific all right, so officially you're on Saunders, I'm on McGee, and since they're both minus 110, I think we're both correct. <laughs> <laughs> all right, moving on. The co-main event. We've got Joe Lozon versus Marcin Held. To me, this is a bit of a strange matchup. I don't know why they keep feeding Marcin Held to all these sort of like longtime stalwarts of the UFC. guy, Like he fought Diego Sanchez in his first fight in the UFC Uh, He spent his whole career before that basically in Bellator, beating most of the guys over there, Uh, whereas Joe Lozon's been like the consummate journeyman in the UFC. He has flashes of brilliance surrounded by moments of mediocrity. Uh, The scoring on this is uh, Joe Lozon, minus 135, Marston Held, plus 115, but the glaring statistic is DK has Lozon at 8,500, whereas Held is at 7,700. To me, that doesn't make any sense. This should be closer to an 81-81 matchup. Uh, I think that the price tag on Lozon sucks some of the joy out of picking him. Uh, I do think that his uh, jiu is good enough for uh, his ability to stop the de- – or excuse me, his ju- defensive jiu-jitsu is good enough to stop the offensive jiu-jitsu of Marcin Held and make this a stand-up fight where I think Lozon has a clear edge. Uh, but Marcin Held's a gamer. You know, he, He's got 22 wins and only five losses for a reason. Uh, though, I, I just feel like even with the bad pricing, uh, Lozon is definitely the pick, but, uh, what's your take?
0: I, I definitely favor Lozon, uh, Lozon, in this fight. He's just, I don't know. In Hell's fight against Diego, arrogance literally caught him that fight. He was, you know, he was winning on the stand up against Diego, and even before the fight was telling everybody he, he could beat diego sanchez uh in a grappling match and it was going to grapple with him and basically gave away his game plan i'm not even kidding i mean then diego was he was saying things like you know this guy wants to grapple with me this guy's nuts i this guy's absolutely nuts if he wants to grapple with me and he proved it he definitely beat him in grappling I. I don't know. I don't like guys who have low IQ in fights. I don't like people like that. I guess I didn't watch enough of him in Bellator. I've watched a couple fights, but not enough where I can truly say he makes that many bad decisions in all these fights. But that was a very arrogant thing to do, and he didn't even. And he knew he was going to be fighting in Mexico City and didn't even train long enough for the altitude. Like I just. That's another thing. Like, really, you don't. You not, how do you not know Mexico City is way up in the air? Uh, how do you not know these things? I, I just, I don't know. I don't like people with, you know, that type of stuff. Lozon, you know, Joe Lozon, he takes chances to win. Very exciting to watch. But because he takes chances to win, he's willing to eat punches to get a, you know, to throw a punch. Sometimes that can, you know, that can definitely cost the most fight, stuff like that. Um, even his last fight again. So, this is for him, which is a close fight. Um, some people feel that he got robbed. I kind of think they got the judges got it right. I
1: just, I don't know. I, I thought Jim Miller won the fight. Yeah, I do. I do too. I mean, but, but this Lozon, I it, I, let's put it a different way. I thought Joe Lozon lost the fight. I don't necessarily think Jim Miller won the fight. I think Joe Lozon lost the fight. All right. uh, With that said, let's move on to the main event of the evening. We've got BJ Penn versus Yair Rodriguez. Penn is a gaudy plus uh, 355 with a $7,000 price tag, and Rodriguez is minus 451 with a $9,200 price tag, the highest price guy on the card. This is literally the prodigy versus the new prodigy. Uh, We're talking about BJ Penn in his prime was the best fighter on the planet in multiple weight classes. And then something happened where he just decided that he didn't feel like training anymore. The guy used to struggle to make 155 pounds. And now he's fighting at 145 because he finally decided to leave Hawaii and train at a real camp. He goes to Greg Jackson's where he's been for the last year And he actually, I think it was around January or February last year, he announced that he was going to try to make this return to 145. He had a bunch of fights canceled, uh, a couple of injuries to himself. And then he had like a domestic violence situation pop up that cost him another fight he was forced to pull out of. The UFC wanted to make sure all that was squashed before they actually build him. Yair uh, Rodriguez is is a crazy phenomenal, uh, you know, reckless sort of fighter. He goes out there and throws shit that doesn't make any sense, uh, but he somehow is effective. He lands it. Uh, he's balls to the wall. He's not afraid to lose, which could be scary in a fight against a guy like BJ Penn. Even though BJ Penn is long past his prime and probably should have stayed retired, uh, I do believe that there is a very small, like ten percent, maybe one out of ten chance that. If Yair Rodriguez tries to throw something too flashy, BJ Penn will catch it. Like, a, for instance, we'll say he tries to throw a, a crazy spinning head kick or something. BJ Penn still has the capability to catch that maneuver, take him to the ground, and secure a limb. You know, he, his best sport outside of MMA itself, his best singular sport is jiu-jitsu. He fell in love with his boxing, and it ended up catching or it ended up costing him the majority of his career at that point. Uh, I mean, just go back and, and look at all three fights with Frankie Edgar. The guy never evolved. It was the the worst display of talent waste that I've ever seen. Uh, whereas Yair Rodriguez, to me, he just he might be too young for a fight like this. That doesn't mean he can't live up to it and rise to the occasion. But for me, this isn't it's, it's a more interesting matchup than Price says. Uh, what do you got on this fight?
0: Um, I'm pretty high on Yair Rodriguez just because I've been watching, I watched uh, actually re- recent training videos that came out on YouTube on both fighters. The speed difference is incredible, I obviously, but BJ Penn looks old. He just does. He just looks old. He just, I don't know, I, it's, I, it's hard to have confidence in a guy who looks that slow, that old. I, don't, I I can't pick him. There's no way I can pick him. But yeah, he's chance, sure. Rodriguez goes for something stupid, ends up on his back, and B J Penn gets on top of him and secures a limb and wins by submission. Sure, of course. I mean it's a fight. Anything can happen in a fight. Just hard to pick a guy when it's that with that type of speed difference. It, it's really hard.
1: I, I was really grasping at straws. I did I did clarify one out of ten chance. <laughs> yeah, I
0: know. I know. I know. I'm no, I don't know if I want to give him that. I, I, last, last fight card, I said uh, I was 97-3 on Amanda Nunez.
1: This one, I might be 93-7, Yair Rodriguez. I don't know. Yeah, I, I have no problems with uh, anyone being huge on Yair, even with his number one overall price tag. I mean, the kid is a stud. I mean, there's nothing that really sucks in his game, other than he's really easy to take down if you're that kind of a fighter. Like, I'm I'm kind of glad he's fighting. That's the only way I'm glad he's fighting BJ Penn. Because if he fought like a you know top guy like Chad Mendez, he'd just end up on his back the whole time. Uh, I I don't know. I just maybe I'm a little bit biased here. Uh, but I, I grew up watching BJ Penn, so it's really hard for me to watch him take a fight like this. I actually thought he had a better chance when he was booked to fight against Ricardo Lamas, because at least Lamas has taken a couple of ass weapons and knows what it feels like to be on the receiving end of a really, really bad sort of beatdown. Uh, that no, Mamas is still a top flight guy, but I just felt like, you know, Penn had a better chance in that one than this one. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, I got really nothing
1: else to say. So all right. Yeah. Well we are rolling up on the one hour mark and we are done. Uh, officially we are huge on Rodriguez. Uh, we like Lozon. We're split on McGee and Saunders. We are slightly split on Moraga and Pettis. Uh, we're both big on Signs. We're both on Olenek, uh, and we both really like the price tag on Alex White. Uh, Dwight Powell is a live dog as well at 7,200. And Answer Off is a total shit show. Uh, Harris and Sherman is a fun fight, and we could go either way in GPPs, but we think Harris overall is the guy to pick there. Uh, Miholovic versus Christiansen is all Christiansen all day and Smolyakov versus Asker is, well, I can't even remember what we said, but yeah. <laughs> uh, Asker is definitely the one <laughs> Alright, yeah, yeah. Big on Asker. I, for a split second there, I looked at Smolyakov's name and I was thinking of some completely different guy that looks like Benil Derouche. But, uh, that's
0: okay. They all sound the same over
1: there. I don't know how
0: they do it over there. Alright, So, and all that, so.
1: Yeah. Uh, anything you want to add before we go off the air? I am good to go. All right, guys, keep tuning into the Gut Room. Keep tuning in DFS Prime lineups. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at BrandonArcade, at BloodRain39, at Ridgers10. Ridge hasn't been with us for a while, but he is still in our hearts, and he's still a member of this team. It's just a matter of scheduling. Uh, We all got crazy lives, and I hope you guys have enjoyed us on your drive or during your workout or however you decide to listen to this podcast. Uh, We really appreciate your time, and please give us some feedback. All right, everyone, signing off. Have a wonderful night watching fights
0: to another podcast sponsored by DFS Prime Lineups. Once again, please give our podcast a review and visit our site at www.dfsprimelineups.com and view all of our offerings. Take 10% off now with the promo code PRIME10. Good luck with your DFS pursuits.